morning, I'm going to um, preach a message. I'm going to do a two-week series called the Bible Engagement Project, and we are jumping into our small groups. Uh, this next Sunday will be the first week. We'll start the first week of our, our new small groups, and we're doing a series called the Bible Engagement Project. And so to introduce that, uh, for the next two weeks, I'm going to talk about um, the Bible and why the Bible is so important and significant to us as believers. Uh, and this morning, I'm going to do something. I, normally, at church, we try to appeal to you on an intellectual basis. We try to appeal to you on an emotional basis, because that's the way that God created us. But this morning, I'm going to skip the emotional part. This is for those of you who lost your emotions in third grade and, and haven't cried since then. Uh, we are going to just... Keep things strictly um, on an uh, intellectual level this morning. I want to appeal to you from the logic of reading God's word from scripture this morning, from statistics, so that, that you can see how important this is. And then uh, it will cause you to have emotions again, I promise. No. Um, so uh, a couple of statistics that I want to share with you this morning. Um, the Barna Research Group did a study uh, a couple of years ago now just to kind of show the state of biblical literacy in the United States. And so go ahead and put that first slide up. This was one of the questions that was asked. It says, do you, you disagree or agree with the following statement? The Bible contains everything that a person needs to know to live a meaningful life. And you can see the trend over the years that, that those who would agree with that opinion has been decreasing gradually over time, and those who would disagree strongly with that statement, that number is going up. Now, this is, not, um, this is not a dire and desperate situation, yet there are still a lot of people that believe that God's Word has the answers that we need today, but, but we're trending in the wrong direction. Would you agree with that? All right, next slide. It says, do you disagree or agree with the following statement? The Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles that it teaches. Now this is concerning. In 2011, in just five years, it's gone from 48% that would agree strongly with that statement to 33% in 2016. I don't know what it currently would be at today, but you can imagine if that's the trend, that's the direction that it's heading. Um, and you can see how our country is shifting its thinking to believing that the Bible is, is accurate, that it teaches the truth. And we can see that in our world today. The values that our culture is teaching are not the values that we find in Scripture. And so we find ourselves at odds with the world around us. And, and to be completely honest, it's been that way for a while, but we're starting to acknowledge it as a society. We're starting to say, yeah, you know what? I'll honestly say I don't agree with everything that the scripture says. It used to be that we pretend we would say that we believe what the scripture says and then live it differently. Now we're just acknowledging it out loud, right? And it's trending more and more in this direction. Next one says, which of the following statements comes closest to describing what you believe about the Bible? The first one is the actual word of God. It should be taken literally word for word. That's about 22%. Inspired word of God, no errors, some verses symbolic. I think that is a perfectly acceptable opinion there. Um, that's around 30% today. Uh, the inspired word of God has some factual or historical errors. Um, 
So they still believe that it's inspired, but that it has some, some small errors that are historical. Then the number that's scary is the bottom one here. It says, it's just another book of teachings written by men that contain stories and advice. And you see how that number has been trending up over time. Uh, apparently, it's gone down a little bit from 2015 to 2016. Great year, huh? Something happened that year. I don't know, maybe a revival or something. But listen, we're trending in the wrong direction on all of these things. And Barna, uh, who's the research group that conducted this study, they came to this conclusion. They said what the research means. Even in just a few years, Barna has, con- has been conducting the state of the Bible interviews. The data is trending towards biblical skepticism, says David Kinnaman, president of Barna and director of the research. With each passing year, the percent of Americans that believe that the Bible is just another book written by men increases. So too do the perceptions that the Bible is actually harmful and that people who live by its principles are just religious extremists. Of course, a healthy dose of skepticism means that people are still asking questions of the faith and of Christianity and of the Bible, Kinnaman continued. And I believe that those questions, when asked and answered honestly from a biblical point of view, can lead to the Spirit's work in people's lives. And thankfully, the data is not all bad news. In fact, our researchers continue to find bright spots that demonstrate the Bible's cultural staying power and the persistent hold in those people's hearts. Each of these realities, among others, is a window of opportunity open to leaders, but these windows are not likely to remain open forever. So we must take full advantage to advocate today for the Bible in our skeptical, self-centered, and highly connected world. Isn't that an incredible thought, a great way to think about this? We still have an open window. There are still people that believe the truth or that are hanging on to that or think that there might be something there. But that window is rapidly closing. And if we don't embrace the importance of the scripture and of God's word, we're only trending in the wrong direction. Now, this indicates the state of what our country believes, but why does it matter? Well, the Center for Biblical Engagement completed a massive study a few years ago and correlated destructive behaviors like gambling, drunkenness, sexual sin, pornography, and destructive thoughts to um, three major areas of practice that they found some some correlation between, uh, one of them being church attendance, one of them being regular prayer, and the third one being biblical engagement. And if you look at this next, the next slide, this next chart here, uh, next one actually, yes, this one. So this shows the difference between um, the, all these different destructive behaviors for those who attend church on the left-hand side, for those who pray at least once a day in the middle, and then the section on the right is those who engage the Bible in reading or listening to the Bible zero to one times a week two to three times a week, and four times or more. Do you notice something on the right portion of that graph? When you go from reading it once a week or no times a week to two to three times a week, those numbers drop drastically. But when you get to four times or more, in other words, when it becomes something that you do more often than not, something drastically changes in human behavior. 
we start not only knowing the truth, but actually doing what it says. And if it's not a regular part of your life, listen, church attendance is great. All of these things contribute. Can I make a suggestion? If you're reading the Bible four times a week, you're probably going to church too. You're probably praying on a regular basis because those things are taught in God's word. And if you value God's word that highly, then you probably value the things that it teaches as well. There's plenty of evidence that the Bible is is beneficial to us, but the reason that we believe that it's more than it, it it's more than just a good book with good advice, it's the inspired word of God. It has the power to change us and transform us. Uh, this slide kind of sums up some of the things that go ahead to the next one, sums up some of the um, highlights of what scripture uh, shows us other direction. That one, yes. Those who study or read the Word of God at least four times a week are 228% more likely to share their faith with others. That's the kind of church I want to go to, right? They're 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. Okay, that one might seem a little bit obvious, right? They're 59% less likely to view pornography. Somebody say amen. And 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Now, I don't know, that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, like you're, you're reading your Bible on a regular basis, but guess what? You have the Holy Spirit, and when you're engaging his word, the Holy Spirit brings it alive in your heart. You feel less lonely. You feel less isolated. You feel less alone. This is important. This isn't just something that, that we believe as Christians. There are statistics to back up the reality of what the scripture does in the life of a believer. And if we're not engaging it regularly, we're missing out. Now, what do we believe scripture is? Well, the Bible gives us an incredible definition in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You've probably heard these verses before, but I want to read them together. This is what I'm going to preach from this morning, what I'm sharing from. Verse 15 says, From childhood... You have been acquainted with the sacred, sac, sacred, wow, <laughs> it's been a long weekend now, sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, our Bible today is a collection of 66 books from about 40 different authors. And each of those books is unique and special and significant. And th this collection of books has been brought together by the church through prayerful consideration, through uh, a council of, of people meeting together. These books have been selected to be part of our Bible because of who they were written by, because of the alignment with the other scriptural teachings. So much care and consideration has been put into this. It has been transcribed 
thousands and millions of times over the years. It has been translated many, many times over. It has been studied more than any other book in human history. It is an incredible collection. But if it's just words on the page, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. I think there are some lessons that we can learn about Scripture from this particular passage. The first one that I noticed was that Scripture should be learned from childhood, right? What does Paul say to to Timothy here? He says, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. In other words, he's learned this since he was a little kid. He's been learning these principles and letting them into his heart at a young age. Now, there's a really important reason why we need to learn this as children, and it really sets the foundation for who we become as adults. And I know that um, some of you come from different backgrounds. Maybe you, you got saved later on in life and you didn't have that, that foundation and you could have avoided a lot of hurt and heartache if you'd been raised in a godly way and if you learned to appreciate the scriptures at a young age. That's what I want for my kids. I want to see them know the word of God and ha- let it sink down deep into their heart that they're building a foundation from childhood. Fuller Theological Seminary recently reported that 75% of the children in our churches nationwide leave the church before the age of 14. Wow. A separate study by the Barna Research Group, again, shows that fewer than one-third of all teenagers are likely to attend a Christian church once they live independent from their parents. So what do we do about that? Right? If, if this formative years of our children's lives are so important, how are we teaching them and instructing them in the word of God? You know, last year we, we started something new here at church. Uh, we started junior Bible quiz and uh, our elementary age kids are, are using this kind of competition format to learn and to study the word of God. And it's been awesome to see them learn. In fact, if you were here last Christmas, we kind of highlighted them a little bit and had them come up and, and quiz against some of our do- adults uh, with some, some Bible trivia, and they, um, they beat you guys. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was ugly. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, what's incredible about this, this uh, Bible quiz program, it's not just a trivia contest. It's not just them learning facts about the Bible but they're also learning scripture versus they're memorizing scripture. They're learning doctrine. They're learning uh, what we believe about the Bible. In fact, um, the Illinois District of the Assemblies of God recently conducted a survey over those the uh, former um, JBQ uh, competitors, kids that were part of that program, and they found that 90% of former quizzers are still in the church today. 90%. Compared to 75% gone, 90% are still in the church today as adults. In fact, another study um, done by a, a separate Pentecostal denomination showed similar results. They said that 90% of students who completed three years of a Bible quizzing program never left church once. And 70% of the 10% who left came back as adults. Isn't that cool? Do you believe that the word of God has power to change lives? 
right? This is, this is not stuff that's just made up in our heads. This is, this is reality. This is fact. Now, maybe you're thinking, ah, you know what? I don't really want to indoctrinate my kids. I want to let them make up their own mind. Can I, can I just say something that might offend you? That's stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it is. It's dumb. I, I know like this is what our world believes, but it's wrong to think that way. Do you let your kids choose to eat whatever they want to eat? If they want to go to McDonald's every day, do you think that's good for them? Do you think that's beneficial for them? That every meal they eat is a happy meal, right? Do you let them choose where they want to play? Oh, mom, I want to play out in the street today instead of in the backyard, right? It's all the same to me. Go ahead, Johnny, have fun. <laughs> or maybe they don't want to go to school or learn how to read. Oh, so what? No big deal there. Like, why would we be so obsessive about every area of our child's life, but when it comes to the thing that's most important, to what they believe, to whether or not they understand the truth of the word of God, we're so flippant about it. That bugs me, okay? That bugs me as a parent. Like, I see my, my kids and my, their friends and the people that they hang out with, and they're just being fed a bunch of lies and garbage from the world around them, where are they going to hear the truth? If it's not from their home, if it's not from their parents, if it's not from their church, from the people that care about them and care about their eternal soul. Like, who's going to give them that hope? It needs to be learned at a young age. It needs to be memorized. It needs to, to bury deep in our hearts. Second thing is that true wisdom comes from the word of God. We, we read that um, it said that Timothy from his childhood had been acquainted with the sacred writings. And Paul says that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know, there are a lot of sources of wisdom in our world. There are a lot of things that people believe. And a lot of times what happens is people get wrapped up in a certain belief system their values, what they believe. They, they take God's word and they wrap God's word around what they believe to, to distort it and twist it and make it into something that it was never intended to be. Rather than taking the scripture and saying, okay, God, what did you intend to tell us in your word? We say, okay, here's what I think. Here's what I see. Here's what I understand from the world around me. How can I make God's word fit my values? And we twist it and warp it and bend it so that it has no power. It has no truth any longer. It's just, it's just something that we use to reinforce what we already think. You know, earthly wisdom will lead you to destruction. It's going to bring you down a path that will lead you to a place where you will be broken and empty. But godly wisdom, the truth of God's word, leads to life. It gives us the only path to salvation. It clearly instructs us that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. And there's a world that's denying that, but, but we have the truth. It's right in front of us. Third thing is that all scripture is God-breathed. Now, for centuries, the church has debated exactly what this means. Um, some people think that God 
literally dictated every word of scripture and that the author stood there with a the pen and said, okay, God, go. And they would write it down. Um, but as we read scripture, we see the personality of the authors in the Bible. I think this is what's so cool. Like God uses us not just as robots to do his bidding, but he uses us in the uniqueness that we were created, that Paul has a, a certain tone when he writes a letter to churches that is very different from the way that Peter writes. And, and as we read through scripture, we see the unique personality of the author included, but we also believe that the words that they wrote down were given to us by God. So that they're not just words that the author came up with to try to explain something, that God was working through them and protecting his word and giving us instruction that we could trust as well. And I think it's, it's so incredible that as, as we look at, at God's word, how it's been protected over time, that, that the manuscripts that, that we discovered even just less than 100 years ago, they found these, the Dead Sea Scrolls in, in Qumran. These are the oldest manuscripts we have of a lot of the books of the Bible. And what they discovered as they found those manuscripts is that the... the Texts that we have today are incredibly accurate. For texts that have been transcribed by hand many, many times over, think about all the possibilities for mistakes or errors that could be made. But God has protected his word. I believe that we can look at the Bible today and that we can trust what we're reading. That we don't have to worry about, well, okay, you know what? What if this has been messed up and distorted over time? Uh, listen, there have certainly been some attempts to do that, right? And people will try to twist, especially when you're talking about translating it to multiple languages, and people will try to, to put their own agenda in there. Sometimes they'll do it accidentally. Look, that's the reality of, of human nature. And so we do our best to be diligent in our study, to, to use the, the, the best possible translations, to study the, the original writings as, as best we can. But we can trust that what we read has been protected by God. That the word that, that we read today, still, to this day, thousands of years later, has the truth that we need for life and for godliness. And not only that, it has incredible authority, right? It's, it's the thing that we rely on as our source of what truth is. A lot of times um, uh, when we're teaching about hearing from the Holy Spirit, um, one of the first things that I'll say is as you're listening to the voice of God and as God tells you something, you feel that God tells you something in your heart by the Holy Spirit, that's awesome that, that you, you feel him speaking to you. The first thing that you should do is say, does this line up with what scripture says? If it doesn't, it ain't God, okay? So like that's our first filter. Right? This is our source of truth. So we start with the word of God, and then we build out from there. Yes, God can speak to you individually. He can give you a word. In fact, I believe that he speaks to people every single day, that he's speaking to us as a church, that he's speaking into my heart, that he's speaking into your heart, and all those things are good. But if it doesn't line up with what God's word says, then you're hearing somebody else's voice. There are a lot of voices competing for your attention. So use that filter. Bring everything back to the word of God. And the only way that you're going to know that is if you study it and that you read it and that you interact with it on a regular basis. 
How else are you going to be able to separate what's truth and what's not? So it's inspired by God. It's, it has authority. It has power. And then it's, it goes on to say that it's useful for teaching, correction, and training. Teaching, correction, and training. Boy, anybody in here just love to be corrected? Oh, yes. I think there are a few things in life that are more frustrating than being corrected. Uh, that I, I don't know if you know this about me, um, but uh, I've been referred to as a grammar Nazi in the past. Uh, now, I've gotten better, uh, but it, I, I used to just have this incredibly annoying habit of if, if I heard somebody say something incorrectly, I would be like, uh, actually, <laughs> the way you would say it. Now, now I've gotten to the point where I, I mess up half the time and I, I catch myself doing it. So I just, I've tried to stop doing that. But like, it's, it's an annoying habit, right? Because nobody likes to be corrected. But it is important in our life as a Christian to have something steering the ship, right? We need correction. You know why? Because we're stupid sheep, right? And we just wander whatever direction we want to go. We follow whatever thing is shiniest in that moment. And if we don't have a shepherd, if we don't have something guiding us and correcting us and leading us back to the truth, we're going to find ourselves in a place where God had never intended us to be. So it's really important that we have that source of instruction, of teaching, of training, of correction. And that's what God's word was designed to do. Now, this is also why reading scripture and studying scripture in community is so important. Because if you do it by yourself, you're either likely to misunderstand something or to kind of twist it to what you want it to say in the first place. And so when you study scripture with other believers, things like questions happen. You know, we learn more by asking questions than, than by have, coming up with our own conclusions. By asking those questions, we're, we're critically thinking about something. And then we're challenging maybe somebody else's idea. That's why it's so important to do this together. God never intended us to be isolated as believers. And so if your plan for uh, your life as a Christian is, well, I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to hang out by myself. You're going to struggle with your faith. But if you're in community and fellowship with other believers, you're going to find so much more benefit in the word of God. Scripture should be consumed, should be read, it should be studied. And you should use other resources and information to help guide you. It should be discussed and it should be applied. Now, here's the other reason why, why reading scripture and studying scripture in community is so important. When you go to ap the application side of things, one of the most important things that you'll find is that accountability is a key to having success in applying scripture in your life. If you don't have anyone else holding you accountable, can I tell you something? You're going to do what you want to do. That's because we as humans are stubborn mules, okay? 
And we need people in our lives that have the authority and the right to speak the truth when we're acting like knuckleheads. That's a spiritual word there. Um, now, here's the deal. Your motivation for studying the word of God does not need to be perfect and altruistic, okay? Uh, I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, uh, we had a pastoral change at our church, and, and uh, my, uh, our pastor retired, and new pastor came in, and I remained on staff. And I remember one of our first staff meetings, we're sitting around a table and saying, okay, Paul, uh, open up the word and, and share a devotional with us from th some, something you've been studying in scripture. And I was like, okay, it's going to be like that now, right? I, and, and at that moment in my life, I just kind of had a little bit of a panic attack. And fortunately, there was a passage of scripture that I had been studying recently, and I had jotted some notes down, and so I opened up to that, and I had something to share. And I promised myself in that moment that I would always be ready if I was asked that question again, because how embarrassing would it be to say, you know what, haven't really been diligent in that area. I haven't been studying much lately. You know what? He never asked me again. As I was on staff for five years after that. He asked other staff members. He never asked me once again. But it was a test in that moment, and it was a life-changing moment for me. I don't think he ever intended it to be that way, but something clicked inside of me. My motivations weren't good. It was that I didn't want to be embarrassed. But it worked. Right? That's what accountability does for us. Um, some of you know this about my wife, Laura, because she talks about it all the time. But uh, a while ago, she started listening to this uh, daily Bible study podcast called The Bible Recap. It's only about, I don't know, five to eight minutes long. And, and it's just packed with truth, and it's really well done. Uh, and it goes with a passage of Scripture every day. It's usually three or four chapters in the Bible. And so Laura, for the last, I think it's over two years now, has interacted and engaged with the Bible every single day without missing once. Can I tell you something? That has benefited our family in an incredible way. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say we have no issues in our family, but I will say this. We have a healthy marriage. We have a loving family. We have kids who are learning to follow Jesus and who see, we see evidence of that in their lives. And, and I'm not trying to be boastful in saying this because it really has very little to do with my brilliance uh, at parenting or anything like that. Uh, it's because we value the word of God so highly in our home. It's because we study it ourselves. It's because we use it as a guideline for how we live and, and we teach it to our kids. Now, I mentioned that Laura is super diligent with her Bible study. My daughter Kayla has inherited that from her mom too. She does devotions every single night without fail. Listen, we're a work in progress, but the word of God is doing the work. And it can do the same thing for your life and for your family as well. We need God's word and we need to engage it together. I asked Josh to come and share a, a little testimony and, and encourage us a little bit more this morning. So I'm going to have him come at this time. Thanks, Paul. So uh, last week, 
Uh, Paul spent a lot of time talking through the announcements and telling us about the upcoming ministries we're starting this season. And he spent a good chunk of his time talking about the small groups that we're going to begin and how important they are. And also he just explained to you all uh, how much we need the scriptures, how much we need to be studying things together. So he asked if I would uh, briefly try one more time to encourage you to consider uh, joining one of these small groups that we have beginning and uh, to recognize the importance of studying God's word. So I thought I'd do it a bit like, a, we could do it like a, a Shark Tank pitch. Have you seen Shark Tank? My wife, I love that. I love that show. So uh, here's my pitch. I'm asking uh, for five minutes of your time today uh, for no money. And in exchange, I want you to commit to reading and to understanding God's word with other people. It's true that God has always defended his word. And God's people have always turned to it for spiritual nourishment and for an understanding of who the Trinitarian God is and for what he does. Uh, so much so that throughout the history of the church, whenever the church has uh, minimized the centrality of God's word or tried to replace it with other things, uh, God in his, his loving mercy and providence has often raised up uh, men and women to defend and to point people's attention back to the word, back to the scripture and recognize that the church needs this as the only true and complete uh, one source of revelation of who God is. Uh, one of those men that God raised up was a man named John Wycliffe. Uh, you've probably heard of him before. Imagine you lived in England, in, in medieval England in the 1300s. It would be uh, smelly for sure. Uh, you were probably going to be a peasant farmer, the chances were. Um, you were working under a feudal lord and you had to uh, meet all his demands and he would offer you protection. Uh, it was smelly, you worked hard in the fields every day, you had a large family with lots of children because a lot, half the children didn't survive past the age of one. Medicine was extremely limited and basic, uh, your house was most likely had a dirt floor and you also most likely shared your, your house with some of your livestock. But every single week, every Sunday, you would walk through your village and you would walk to church and you would join in in the worship service. And you would see the priest, uh, he would be reciting the prayers, he would be uh, presenting the Eucharist and reading portions of scripture to you. The only problem was it was in Latin. It wasn't in English and you wouldn't understand a word that was going on. Um, but it was familiar. It had been that way since you were born and it had been that way for, for hundreds of years. And then a man like John Wycliffe comes along and decides and has this radical idea that actually uh, God's people should have access to God's word in their own language. So with his friend, uh, John Purvey, he supported the first production of the Bible in English, uh, translated from the Latin scriptures. And this was uh, unprecedented. Uh, a followers after Wycliffe called the Lollards would go around uh, preaching in English and, and reading God's word uh, in the streets or in the fields and all over the country and people for the first time were hearing God's word being spoken in their own language in a way they can understand. This was uh, unprecedented. They'd never heard this before and Wycliffe among other uh, forerunners would um, pave the way for the, the reformers to come and to undergo a huge change in both society and, and in the church because they held to the belief that uh, we should have God's word accessible for God's people. It should be in a language that we can understand. And they were committed to that, uh, to, for people to grow and understand who God's, uh, God is by reading his Bible and growing in maturity. So today, despite having 
you know, unlimited access to God's word, as, as Paul's sharing the statistics today, uh, Christians in this country are often not engaging in God's word regularly. In 2020, Ligonier Ministries uh, conducted a survey interviewing a large demographic of people across the country, and they found that only 48% of people agree the Bible is completely accurate in what it teaches. Uh, Lifeway, the, the Christian publisher, took another survey, and they found that only 36% of evangelicals attend church regularly and read the Bible daily. And only 40% of people attending church regularly read the Bible one to two times a month. So what we're talking about today is reading the Bible as a church together, as people of, of faith together. Historically, the church has always done this. They've always met uh, and read and understood and questioned and interpreted God's word and sat under it for, for training and for um, growing into maturity. And we're not saying that, that quiet times or, or devotional times are, are bad. I think they're wonderful, uh, edifying, good, good things to be doing. But it's, it's a relatively new phenomenon that, that we do. And it presupposes a few things. It supposes that you have the ability to set aside time during the day uh, from your work and to quietly study and read the scripture together. It also supposes that you have you know, access to the, the Bible in your own language and that you can even you know, read as well. And those three things you know, haven't always been the case for Christians. And even today, there's many parts of the world that people do not have those luxuries to have those quiet times. Um, but one thing the church has always done is met together and to listen to God's word and to uh, be, be built up with it. Uh, so what the church has always done is, is, and God promises to bless, is when people come together and sit under God's word and interpret God's word together, then that's when real fruit comes. Because we are uh, in this special privileged position as God's, mem God's um, church, members of God's church, because we come together as this interpretive community of people where together we learn and grow and study and we share in God's word for God's people. So in addition to coming uh, to church on Sunday mornings and joining in, in worship and hearing the scriptures being preached every week, uh, these small groups that we're starting are an opportunity for you to participate in studying God's word together. It's a chance for uh, interaction and, and questioning and studying and interpreting the Bible in a way that we can't replicate just in our own quiet times by ourselves. Um, we need a community of believers to come together and to do that. And I'm sure for those that have been in, in small groups and in Bible studies, you can you know, count testament to the fact that this is, is powerful and, and, and helpful and spiritually upbuilding. Um, so we, yeah, we welcome you to come and consider enjoying, uh, and joining a small group. And we want you to you know, wax eloquent about your kind of wacky interpretations of scripture. We want to hear your, your crazy questions and crazy interpretations because that's valuable. And we, we recognize that when other people are sharing their experiences of reading the scriptures and understanding them, that's when we can grow in holiness and grow in maturity together. Um, so yeah, please consider joining a group. There you go. <laughs> so um, if you want to join a group, um, there are a couple different ways you can do that. The easiest way is to go to westpoint.org slash groups. Um, we have these little cards, and I think there's still a, a couple of them floating around here, um, or at back at the information desk, uh, that show the different locations of the groups that are meeting. And we have six different different groups that, that are going initially. Or you can just let us know at the church office, and we'll 
help you uh, get into a group, um, but we, we want you to be a part of it. Not because um, it makes our stats look better as a church or anything like that, but because we need the Word of God, and um, we need to be in fellowship with each other. That, that time spent together is important, not just studying the Word, but spending that time praying together and, and building friendships and relationships because God never intended His church to do faith alone. It was always intended to be with a group, with other believers as well. So please, please consider that today because you need it, because you need that, that time with other Christians. You need that support with the family of God as well. Um, you know, as, as we just wrap up this morning, I want to just uh, say that, that we, we were very intentional about the time frame that we chose to do this. This is an eight-week period, so it's, it's not a massive commitment, and we're starting it next week because this is kind of the beginning of the fall season, and you know, fall represents a lot of things. Like people are going back to school, um, you know, the weather changes, the uh, vacations tend to come to an end. Um, you can put your Christmas decorations up, but... That's not right? Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, we, we lo I love this time of year because it kind of feels like uh, just something fresh and something new. So listen, make a commitment to be a part of it. And I, I will say this. I know that throughout the course of these eight weeks, uh, we picked them in the fall because usually like vacations are done by this period of time and you can be a little bit more consistent. But if you're like, ah, you know what? I have to miss a week or two for this or for that. So what? Go anyway. Just go be a part of it. If, if you, you're not, you're not going to be um, left behind because you missed the previous week. Uh, whatever your excuses are, find time for it. I was looking at my calendar this past month, and um, you know, my family we tend to live a little bit more frenetic life than than maybe some people. Um, I, I mean, it's literally like multiple things every single day for the next month and a half. I mean, it's literally over a month and a half before there's a blank space on my calendar. But you know what? I can't wait to be a part of a small group. Um, and uh, I hope that, that you choose to do the same. We make time for the things that we value. So value this. Make time for it. Make it important in your life as well. All right, I'm going to close this in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means to us as believers. We thank you that it's such an incredible gift, and then we have so much access to it today. Lord, help us to not just believe that that's true, but help us to be people of your word. Help, help us to be people that know and apply the principles that you teach in your word. And Lord, help us to be people that would be passionate about that so that we can spread it to others as well. Lord, we love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.